I've got a word um, that I believe is for us as a whole, but I believe it hopefully will speak to many of you this morning. And it's a little bit, often when I share, I share through past experiences, and it's a little bit of a, an experience that I've gone through for the last year. So I'm going to journey through that, if that's cool with, with you guys, and um, we're going to look at some scripture regarding it. But before we do, let's just pray. Um, Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, it's your word that transforms lives. Father, I thank you that, you know, where man says it's impossible, Lord, your word says it is possible. Father, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, Father, today, I just believe where there's been words of doubt, words of negativity, Father, we come against it with the good news of the gospel. Father, we speak life in this room, Father, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. Even in me, Lord, I just pray, be an open vessel to share, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Let your will be done. Amen. Brilliant. So I'll start at the beginning of um, kind of going back a year ago. So a year ago, me and my wife, Paula, which some of you will know Paula. I'm sure some of you, some of you guys will know, know who she is. So we were living in a house, um, in our rented house, and we, we really felt we were going to buy it. And you know, you get that inkling, that kind of like, this, this, I think this is possible. And God did some cool things. Like we started to get... One, like that desire, that passion, that kind of like, I think this is going to happen. And you start to get this kind of like, okay. And then all of a sudden, we um, got a phone call and then a deposit. We got a deposit. And I'm like, oh, well, that's the biggest hurdle ever to get over. That's the deposit's done. That's usually a house. That's done, isn't it? We're going to have a house. Um, So here we are, January, February last year. We're excited. We're thinking we're going to buy a house. Our three young children, you know, this is the house we've been living in a few years as well. So it's kind of home already. Um, and in March and April, we're ringing, we're ringing the mortgage advisor, um, call them. The plans are starting to move forward. Um, I've never done this before. I've never experienced buying a house. I know some of you guys would. So I'm quite new to it. I'm, I'm ringing this mortgage advisor, like just trusting everything he's saying, like this is the situation. Um, I'm going to be honest, he was kind of annoying because... Um, he didn't always bring good news, and it was always it was quite a frustration, frustrating journey. So, um, but March and April time, we felt like plans were going forward with this whole buying of a house, our first house. May um, June came, and it wasn't so good. So, these are the, this is the situation. That, so we, I'm a, obviously I'm the only worker. My wife, we homeschool our, our children, which is great fun um, for my wife. Um, <laughs> I watch from a distance, well done. No, I don't. I'm involved. I'm involved when I can be. But it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's not a, something we've chose to do. I, th- I feel like it's a calling, that we've, we feel God calling us to do that. And so it's something you can't just decide to stop on your own decision. You have to, you have to do what God's asking us to do. So I'm the single worker. Um, my wife is, is effectively the teacher of the house, teaches me as well. I'll get involved with it one of the students, um, and so that makes it very difficult when the mortgage advisor's looking at us as a family. It's effectively me with four dependents, is how he's saying it. So he said, what are you going to need? You know, most people are getting these 5% deposits. I'm thinking, oh, okay, you're going to need a 15% deposit. I'm like, oh, 15%? This is like, now you're looking at like a lot of money. So we ended up, God came through, and we got this deposit. I rang it back, no, it's going to need to be 20%. And I'm thinking, you're having a laugh. I thought he was winding me up. I, think, I, f- I f- honestly felt like the guy was just winding me up. Like, he, had a, he had a comeback every time I would call him for, for something. And so anyway, God came through. And again, we're talking now like needing £40,000. It was, it was starting to look a bit silly. Um, and then I called him. And then thankfully, 
things happened where, where this was possible. And then he said, you need a 25% deposit now. And I was like, I'm like starting to question, what is going on? So this deposit now is like starting to look like £67,000. I'm looking at everyone else my age, and they're like, yeah, got a new build, 5%, it's lovely. It's like, I'm like, oh, thanks. Appreciate that encouragement. And I'm, st- I'm stood here with my family and my kids thinking, what is going on, God? Like, why is this happening? And so by the end of June, um, this is last year, Sorry. it wasn't looking like it's going to happen. Because every time I felt like we had uh, uh, an answer to our own situation, he had an answer why it couldn't go ahead. And you started to question, God, what's going on? You know, there's only so much pushing against stuff you can do before you start having to question, okay, God, what's going on? Why, what, what's happening in this situation? But anyway, so the end of June came, and the people we were looking to buy it off, it gets, it gets comical, this story. They were like, actually, we don't really want to sell it now. Um, yeah, it, started, it was, it honestly, it could make a comedy show of what happened. But then also, we had two months now to move out. So there's, there's me in, 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 like, January, February, New Year, going to have a house. Halfway through the year, I'm, like, now desperately trying to pack up the house, thinking we've got to get out. We've got to move. It's, yeah, it's comical. It's like, you know, you think, is this actually happening? And sometimes life can be like that. You never quite know what's going to happen in life. That we can't always know what's going to happen. But what I felt like I had was this promise of God. There's a promise that he said that we would have a house, but it's not always the way we think it's going to happen. It's not always the way we, we as human beings, we love to work things out. And as me as a person, I do really like to work things out, but it's not always possible with God. So here I am at the end of August, moving my family out, and we had nowhere to go. Because in such quick concession houses, we just didn't have anywhere to go. We had no real plan for this. We didn't make a plan for this. I didn't plan to go and um, move out such quickly. So what happens, end of August, my wife and me moved back to London to our um, mother-in-law's house. I'm looking at my life going, what's happened? You know what I mean? Like, what's going on here? I'm, I'm living in my pet, like my mother-in-law's house. This is crazy. And, uh, but I work down here, so this is it. The journey begins. I'm now traveling back and forth every week to London to spend time with my kids, four days away from my kids, to work down here, trying to be faithful in the areas down here with work and things like that, staying committed to all that, but at the same time, trying to be present with my family. And I'm like, this is not the plan that I had at the beginning of the year, Lord. This is not what I saw when that great New Year vision of getting our house came into being. It's, I mean, it was like the complete opposite. And I started to feel very confused and very almost upset you know, we have those moments, don't we? We start kicking and stomping like a little child, like, oh, I've had enough, Lord, I'm done. Um, and life can sometimes be like that. But then I heard just that small whisper of the Spirit, wait on me. And I thought, okay, wait on me. And often when God whispers, he doesn't just say that, but he started confirming in his word. And I'm just going to read three um, scriptures that over the space of about a week, God consecutively spoke into my life that made me feel so at peace with the situation that I was in. And the first one was Isaiah 40, verse 31. And it says this, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And I needed to hear that because in my situation, I was getting weary, like immediately. I was thinking, this is horrible. But it's when we wait on him. God was calling me to wait on him. 
And then he gave me, a few days later, Psalms 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It was like a slap in the face. God was saying, just wait on me. You know that like, reality of like, wow, God is truly like speaking. Because he speaks, right? We live with a God that speaks. We're not in a religion where it's kind of like incense and standing there worshipping some dead statue. We're worshipping the living God who speaks every day into your heart through his word. We can be encouraged. Take good courage of that. Proverbs 19.21 was the last one, then, not the last scripture he's ever spoke to me, but the last one in this, in this week when he spoke to me. And he said, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. And it's at that point you have to stop and go, okay, God, I get you're, you're, you're saying something here. It's not gone the way I want it to go. It may have not worked out the way I wanted it to be. But I, I, I get it. You're asking me to wait on you, and I'm cool with that. But it doesn't stop the reality of what's happening in our lives or in my life in this season. So came the end of October last year. Obviously, I didn't know how long this was going to be going on for. But I started doubting again. As you do, you know, a month went past, thinking, okay, Lord, is this, like, you're talking more than a month? You're having a laugh, aren't you? Yeah, that's what I started thinking. Like, I was thinking it would be a few weeks or, but, and then the end of October came, and I'm like, it's two months now, and I started doubting even why we were in London. I started having all these doubts, but in the midst of it, God was working. In the midst of it, God was doing something. And these two scriptures that God spoke to me next were kind of really personal to me and something that confirmed that I was meant to be where I was meant to be. And it was Luke 24, 49. And I was just reading it and it said this, Now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And it was that, stay here in the city, that just leapt out at me when I was doubting where I was meant to be in London, in the, in the city of London, where we were meant to be coming back. And I just felt the Spirit of God confirm again. Isn't it beautiful that God will always confirm for his word? There's a word for every situation and scenario that you'll find yourself in. And then there's another one in Acts 1.4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And as I was pondering that, God, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, what's Jerusalem? I said, it's the capital city of Israel. And he said, well, where are you? In capital city of England. He said, just wait in there. Where? And I just, it was just this beautiful, intimate kind of like whisper from the Holy Spirit. I thought I was so convinced those moments are empowering because without them, you doubt everything. You doubt what you're doing. Is it right, God? Am I not? But when his word speaks into your life, it reassures you. It reassures you you're in the right situation. You're doing the right thing. Even when I look at my poor children and I'm like, God, please. I was worried the other day that I'd, I'd done harm to my child because, you know, he was so like desperately sad that I'm going all the time. I thought, I was questioning, Lord, like, is this right that I'm doing this? But like words like this reassure you that God's got it even if you don't, even if you don't quite understand it. So from this point, as I said, I was, I was hearing God correctly. I felt like, God, no, I'm, I'm hearing you. And God showed us various things, which was amazing. My, my wife was getting words, and bless her, she was writing every day, like, like words that God was speaking about our situation. And we had moments with God um, that we knew we were hearing him correctly. Little things were happening, and I just knew that this was the right situation we were in. Um, but I had to wait on him. It didn't change the way I feel, um, and it actually felt, and some of you might kind of relate to this, like I was stuck in a wasteland or a desert place, a place where it just felt dry and empty and like, what is this? And Isaiah forty three nineteen says this, For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers 
in the dry wasteland. See, I love God because he doesn't do things like normal people would do. He'll take you to a place of almost like this is ridiculous and do something incredible in the midst of it. In a wasteland, God can make things happen. In a desert place, he can bring living water into your life. See, we as human beings would look at that and go, this is impossible. God laughs and loves it because he's like, watch what I'll do in the midst of the wasteland, the place where everyone writes off, God's in the midst of it. When we're given a promise, and this is the picture I want us to get, when we're given a promise from God, we've all had a promise from God, right? We've been excited. It's like, God's going to do this, and it's a promise. But over here is the receiving of the promise, and that is like the best thing ever because it's like, wow, God, I've witnessed your goodness. But there's always this journey from receiving the actual word to receiving the physical promise. And that journey sometimes can be the hardest things you'll ever experience in your life. But it is the greatest test that God will put you on that will grow you, develop you, and strengthen you for everything that he has for you. See, it's this journey here where we need to be rejoicing about. As much as that sounds nuts to say and silly to say, it's actually the journey that God loves more. He's happily given promises, and he'll happily fulfill the promise all day long. But it's the journey of the wasteland and the desert place where God goes to work. It's not always easy, and it definitely doesn't always make sense. Often it makes no sense at all. And in a minute, I'm going to look at a couple of my favorite characters in the Bible who went on similar journeys like this. But it's where God wants to do something in us. And I'm sure there's some of you here that kind of have been on these journeys. You've experienced these journeys. I was thinking about it today, that often these kind of words that I'm speaking can be old news to some people. It's a bit like, yeah, I've heard this all before, Sean. Some of you might have heard it before and thought, this is quite a new, fresh news to me. I've not been encouraged like this before. But no matter what, it's the good news. And the good news of the gospel, whether it's old or new, will always bring life and will bring goodness to your very soul and bring life to who you are. So be encouraged today. And I pray, my prayer is that you'll be encouraged to, to stand up and know that God's in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself in. There's a couple of examples, maybe what we're waiting on. Maybe it's regarding a loved one that doesn't know God yet or walked away from God. That's a difficult thing to have to stand there knowing that, God, you promised my family will be saved. But I ain't seeing it right now. I have no idea how you're going to work it out. But know this, that God's at the end with the promise already. But it's the journey that he's interested in. We want things like that, don't we? Pop it in the microwave, bang, done. God's not into slow cooking. He's a slow cooker God. He likes to put it on all day and let it cook, let it, let it, get, let it get marinated, let it get in. God's that kind of God. Because it's not always so easy as just to flick a switch and it's done. Maybe you're in a job that isn't your end goal, right? We've all been there. It's, it feels like, but God's asking you to wait on him. You're in a job and you're thinking, I don't even see where this job's going, God. I know I've been called to this over here. I know that I've, I feel my passion is over here. But right now, I, I'm in this kind of job. But God's asking you to wait on him. Yes, the promise is that you're going to do that thing, but there's a journey towards it. And we don't just jump out the boat midway and think, I'm just going to chase after it. We've got to go on the journey that God's called us to. And sometimes I've been in those jobs where it's so frustrating. You're banging your head against the wall thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. Often, for me, it's jobs that I can't even do. amount of jobs I've done, and I'm like, I'm in it. I'm thinking, let me tell you a story once. I I, I have not got many qualifications outside of, like, doing things for God. Like, you know, I've, I've got certificates through doing courses and all this kind of stuff. But 
I was working in a call center, which is not fun. For those that work in call centers, you'll probably agree with me. But I thought, I want to try being in IT. Don't know nothing about IT. And I thought, I really had this like, kind of desire to want to wanna do it. And I just thought, God, I'm going to, like, if that comes up, let me pursue that. Let me try and put my hand towards that. And, and I had to sit for about a year in this call center. And it was, oh, it was brutal. The language, the conversations, it was just not the easiest place to be. But one day this interview came up for this job. And, and, and I was able to apply for it. And I'm thinking, you're having a laugh, like IT service desk analyst. So you're taking phone calls to fix computers over the phone. You're, yeah, it's comical, because I'm like, how on earth am I going to do this? Anyway, I applied for it, because I, I felt like, God, come on, I, I could probably learn that. So it comes up to the interview, and I'm sat in this room with like what can only be described as clever people, and then me. Yeah, and I'm stood there like, oh, no, I feel like a right wally. And, um, and I'm there like... Oh, no. So this guy says to me, like, yeah, what, what qualification? I ain't got no qualifications. I've just worked on the computer upstairs, like in the other bit of the building. This guy's got some Microsoft thing and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, oh. But you know what? I just trusted God in it. And I went through the journey. And not, it's one of those interviews where you don't do one. You've got to do three interviews. You know, you go called back. And go. But do you know what? I got the second interview. And I thought, wow, that's, that's incredible. I thought, I can't believe it. And I couldn't believe it. But then I went on to the, to the second interview, and I got through that. And I thought, this is incredible. And do you know, in the third interview, I sat down with the head of the IT department for SSE, Southern Electric, in the South. It was a, it was a big guy, do you know what I mean? He was a, he was, he was a, and I ended up just talking about church and homeless outreach. <laughs> and the guy took me on. The guy took me on. Like, praise the Lord. Like... I was just shocked by what had happened. But do you know what I mean? It's like I was in this job, but I was just trusting God through the situation. It, wasn't, it was the weirdest thing ever. I came out of it. I was so excited. I said, well, you ain't going to believe it, Paul. I got the job. And I, she couldn't believe it. And I was like, well, but problem was, day one, I had to actually work there. And I'm like, oh, no, now I've got a problem. <laughs> and so I'm sat at this computer. And I, you know what? I learned it. Because the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So I position my heart and my head to know that and think, God, no matter what, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to make myself look like I know it, even if I don't. And I got through it, and I did it, and even that wasn't my end goal job. Don't get me wrong, what I'm saying is sometimes God makes ways where you'll never understand. The journey of what you're learning on this, is, it never quite makes sense, but just be encouraged that you may be in a situation right now that isn't your end goal, but no, God's got good for you further down the line. Yeah, it might not look good now, it might be very mundane, it might be very boring, it might be very challenging. But know that God's got something great for you. Maybe it's uh, your living, where you're living, your house, whatever it might be, circumstances, similar to like what, what I'm in. Maybe it's, you know God's promised you something better than this, but you're not seeing it right now. You know, I, I saw a, a, doc, a, 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 a news article today of some of the living conditions of some of these houses that are giving out, like leaking through the roof. And I felt like, wow, God, this is ridiculous. People can't be living in these kind of circumstances, like mold, like, like just everywhere, and no one doing anything about it. Sometimes we can be put in positions like that, and we just think, well, what? Know this, God, that's not your end goal. God's got something great for you. And sometimes we do have to go through situations like myself, where you're living in a place where you're thinking, well, what is this? You know, I'm living in my mother-in-law's house, I mean, and my mum's when I'm down here. I mean, it's a double whammy. I'm just like, it's not, not the greatest, do you know what I mean? It's not the greatest. But I know God's got something at the end. I know there's something, but it's the journey that he's really interested in. There can be many things that we find ourselves, you know, wanting or, or, or which requires waiting. 
Um, but again, like I want to encourage you today, don't look to try and get from here to here. Actually look to take the time to breathe on the journey and say, God, what are you trying to do in the midst of this? Because I want to know, I want to be all that you want to make me to be in the midst. If I go from here to here, there's nine times out of ten you ain't even ready for that. You need to be ready for it, and it's this bit, this middle ground that gets you ready, gets you prepared. One of the things we need to do as well is, is understand who we're waiting on. I think it's so easy to forget that we're waiting on a faithful God. You know, we're not just waiting on someone who has constantly let us down. I've experienced that in my life, you know, those, and some of you here may have related to it. Often, when I was a young child, and my, my upbringing wasn't the greatest, my mum loved her to bits, my mum is saved now, praise the Lord, you know, I've come from a non-Christian household, my mum is saved, and I, I thank God for that, but as a young child, I was often let down, you know, that promise of, we're going to go on holiday, we're going to go on holiday, and then it's like months before, we're cancelling the holiday, oh, you know, it's that feeling, it's that constant like letdown of we're going to do this and it's not happening. We're gonna, and it's this, that breaks trust. That makes you start to think, yeah, you can tell me you're going to do that, but I don't know if you're going to do it. And you don't ever enjoy it when it comes because the whole time leading up to it, you're anxious about it. You're thinking, is it going to happen? Is it not? Is it going to happen? Is it not? And, and often that can be how it is when we don't trust the person that's given the promise. To trust literally just means firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of someone or something. Often, as human beings, we don't always show reliability. As human beings, we can fail, can't we? We can give promises and then go back on the promises so easily. God's not like that. What? When God gives a promise, he's not like some double-minded person that in the next thing actually, actually, no, why did I say that? Oh, that's going to take me time to do that for them. Oh, no, I'm, gonna, no, I'm not going to do that. He's not like that. God is faithful. But again, like I said, if someone has a bad track record, it'll be very hard to trust them for anything. And, you know, God doesn't ask us to wait for him, but wait on him. And I like this thought. The picture I get often when waiting for something is like a bus. You're waiting for the bus. The bus isn't present here. You're just stood there waiting for the bus. You're not doing anything. You just stood there waiting for it. But waiting on him, I think, slightly different because he's present with you in the midst of the waiting. He's on the journey with you because he says he never leaves you nor forsakes you. It's not like he's here promising in it and then he doesn't go with you on it. He actually goes with you on the journey as well. That's how good God is, that he takes you on the journey and walks with you. And so that means there's an activeness in our waiting. We don't switch the switch of I'm turning my whole life off until he does it. And just wait there, like you're waiting for a bus. No, no, no. There's an activeness to our waiting, that we wait on him, which means I'm going to carry on serving in church. I'm going to carry on being faithful in what I've been given now. I'm going to be faithful in all the situations and circumstances I find myself in, and I'm going to wait on him in the midst of it. I'm not going to stop doing things until God turns up, because God's in it with us, and that's the difference, I think, on waiting on God. We're not just stood here waiting for him to do it, but we're waiting on him in the midst of the trial. Amen? We're waiting on him. It's not passive, but active. And we're called to be active. Active in everything we're doing for God. Be active in our serving the kingdom. I love serving the house of God. More than anything else, I love serving the house of God. Did it 13 years ago when I came into the house of God, I fell in love with God. I fell in love with his bride, which is the church. And I just served it with all my heart. 
This morning, I'm up, I'm out serving at Portsmouth, five o'clock. It's a joy to be out, getting the bus, getting that. I just find it so, it's something in my heart rejoices in wanting to serve. If there's an opportunity, I'm there, I want to serve. Because I'm not serving man, I'm serving him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sees every chair that someone puts out. And he's going to reward that person one day. You may not get thanked by anyone in here for doing it. But your heavenly father knows what you're doing. He sees your heart. I'm passionate about serving the house of God. So if he's given me a promise that one day I'll have a house, and that means I'm living in my mother-in-law's, I'm living in my mum's house on this journey, I'm not going to stop serving the king of kings because I haven't got the promise yet. I'm going to continue waiting on him and give my whole life as a sacrifice for him. The Bible says that. Lay down your life. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices for him. Come on, let's be challenged today to stand up in every area of our lives and give with everything we've got. I know so many of you do. But be passionate about our giving to the king. Amen? So we're going to look, as I said, at two of my favorite kind of characters when it comes to the faith journey. You'll be very familiar with both of these characters. Um, The first one would be Abraham. Abraham was probably like the most famous man for being taken on a journey with God, wasn't he? You know, his story is incredible. He had to leave everything he knew in order to follow him. And now in Genesis 12, 1, we we read this. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. God's brilliant at stuff like that, isn't it? There's no plan or anything there. It's just get out and go that way. Oh, what? Often this is this moment. You don't have a clue what's ahead. It's just go and do this. But that's the most exciting bit ever because God's becoming real. He's speaking to you. His word is alive. This is a brilliant moment. Genesis 12, 4 says, So Abraham departed. Obedience is key to often a promise of God. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham, this is the bit I love, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, I don't know what Abraham was up to before any of this, but 75 years old, his life began with God, like in this way, in this journey. This is incredible that he was 75 years old, and this was just the start of his journey. What an incredible thing. I love that to God, age is just a number. It doesn't mean anything. He will use everyone and anyone. If you've got air in your lungs, you're being used by God if you want to. There is no, like, Phil, look at running. I, I don't even think I've run one marathon. 80 marathons, I'm shocked by that. Is it 80? Eight zero, you're, that's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> With God, all things are possible. But it's amazing because age is just a number. God has a purpose and calling forever. It's not like God clicks the retirement switch for people. For in Abraham, he probably went, retirement, and God went, come. I was like, oh, great. I was just about to retire, Lord, from my thing, and now you're calling me because God's got no switch like that. I love that. It encourages me. So Abraham was given this promise by God. Um, there, was, there was two parts to it. One, he was promised that he would inherit the land, the Canaanite land. The other was that there would be someone behind him that would inherit this blessing. So again, he's here at this moment, listening to God. And he's 76 years old, um, I believe, at the point of when this promise comes. And it's here in Genesis 15, 4 to 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall be your heir. But one who, uh, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. 
I mean, this is this moment here again. He's having this promise moment here with God. 76 years old, he's being told he's going to have a child. Again, you're having a laugh, God, aren't you? Like, what's going on here? Like, I think everyone in their right mind would be like, you're joking me. 76. But this is God. He does, he's not normal. God's not normal. He doesn't do things by how the world sees it. He, he's a supernatural God. So he's 76 years old when this promise was given that he would have an heir that would inherit the blessing that was given to him. So not only did his age not agree with having children, so for Abraham, the other problem was that Sarai, or Sarah, could not have children. So Genesis 11.30 says that Sarah was barren and she had, and, and had no child. So there's a double, bang, double barrel problem here, that, we, that, that not only is Abraham old, his wife is barren and old. I mean, you, it's almost like God likes to use the most impossible things to prove that he can do all things. And in this situation... It obviously seemed impossible. In Genesis 6, 1 to 2, um, we see a moment where Abraham kind of slips on this journey. So he's been given this promise, and he's on this journey now. And we see in Genesis 16, 1 to 2, it says this. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, Ab- Abraham, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into, m- into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. I mean, silly man. He heeded, oh yeah, okay, thank you, love. I'll go and do that. I mean, it, wisdom says don't do that. Um, Abraham's mistake was allowing the voice of people to be greater than the voice of God. He allowed the voice of his wife, which... Obviously, is the correct thing to do, but I mean, you don't sin outside of the, 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 the scriptures to, to fulfill something. God had given a promise. Now, on this journey, now, obviously, disheartenedness had set in. They'd started probably feeling doubts like we do on this journey. And so Sarai then came to Abraham and said, maybe you need to go and do it yourself. Maybe we need to make this happen ourselves, this situation. And so he, that, that was the mistake for Abraham. Self-effort crept in rather than waiting on the Lord. And that's easy to happen on the journey. Self-effort, I will make this happen. Often we can be very impatient as human beings, right? And we just want to see it happen. So what came from this self-effort was Ishmael. And this wasn't the promise God had for Abraham. And in fact, Ishmael became a bit of a problem, complications further down the line for Israel. So the promise of God that would come through Abraham, so I would bring blessings, but the child came through self-effort and through Abraham and Hagar brought strife. And we can read this in Genesis 16, 12. He shall be a wild man. This is over Ishmael. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So if we're not careful, when we get the promise of God and we go on this journey and start thinking, I'm not sure how I was going to do this. I'm just going to make it happen. You will cause further issues for yourself down the line. You will cause complications. It may not happen straight away but you will cause complications further down the line in various ways and various circumstances. Abraham, at this point, was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So that's a 10-year difference from when the promise... I mean, 10 years is a long time, right, for waiting for a promise. 10 years is like... Sometimes for us, it's like a couple months, and we're like, I'm done. I need this to happen now. And like, we can be impatient. 10 years, for him, 8 years probably crept in, and they were thinking, this isn't going to happen. We need to try and make this happen. We need to help God. Like we think that we need to help God, creator of heaven and earth, who spoke the stars into existence, spoke the galaxies into existence. We need to help him. Come on. He can do all things, right? When we get perspective, he can do all things. 
So by the time his son Isaac was born, which was the promised heir, Abraham was 100 years old. So it says, Genesis 21, verse 5, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So this is the correct promise. So he is now receiving the promise that was actually meant to happen. The, the promise that God had said between this gap and this gap was 25 years of trusting and walking with God. We can't determine this length of time. We can't put a, a, a line on it and say, I'm only going to wait for this. We wait on the Lord and watch his hand at work. And something we have to learn from Abraham is that if God has said it, then it will happen. It will happen. There isn't a possibility that it won't happen if God has said it. It will come into existence because he is faithful. When he says it, he's not like some of the people that we might hang around that say things one day and then change their mind because it's raining or change their mind because don't feel like it. He's not like that. God's not like that. He's unwavering. We only have to believe and wait on him. It's really quite simple. He gives us a promise. I believe it with all my heart. But then this bit, I have to go on this journey. And I don't know when the end goal is. I just trust him with all my heart, knowing that I'm going to continue to pursue him and live, after, live, live chasing after him. And what will happen is that promise will come in exactly as it's meant to. And it will bring blessing not only to you, but to those around you. It will create incredible things for your life. Where we've got to be careful is not to start thinking, on the journey, I'll do it myself. The next person, that, and, and the last person that... that I'm going to speak. There's many of these probably examples, but these are the two that re- I really love. Is Joseph. Joseph in the Bible, we're probably very familiar with his story as well. Another young guy, quite a little passionate young guy, at 17 years old, um, we see this dream that he had. He had a couple of dreams, and the Bible says in Genesis 37 that he was 17 years old when he had these dreams. I'm going to read from Genesis 37, 5 to 8, and it says this. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. This is kind of probably not the dream you should be telling your brothers. You know what I mean? You could imagine what your brother's doing. I'm going to hit you. It's what I would think my brother would do to me and did do to me if I'd ever. You kind of, there's an order to certain things, isn't there, when you've got older brothers. You don't, you don't go to them doing this. And he said, and his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Again, he was probably unwise about this, but you can imagine a 17-year-old lad, bit probably, look at what has happened to me. God's given me a promise over you. And he's probably a bit you know, gloating over his brothers, like you're going to serve me. And again, not going to have wisdom at that age, maybe. I don't know. But he didn't learn his lesson. In Genesis 37, 9 to 11, he had another dream. And it says this, then he dreamed still another dream and told his brothers. Oh, it's like, Joseph, stop telling your brothers, man. Come on, <laughs> learn your lesson. Um, it's like that, that, for me, I think I would have learned the first time. If they hated me, and actually I would have been like, I oh, better not tell them. He obviously had the problem. He just wanted to wind them up. I don't know. But he says, and said, look, I have a dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. I mean, it's getting worse, these dreams as well, because they're getting more almost like, wow, this is getting crazy now. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and, the father, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I love this, because I think Joseph's dad, um, yeah, Joseph's dad, wasn't having a go at him 
for the dream. It's probably the attitude about how he told the dream. Because the, the fact is that he kept the matter in mind because he was a godly man. He knew that this is probably God speaking. But I'm just picturing Joseph with his chest puffed up, like, yeah, you lot are going to bow down to me. Like, no you're, not, no, no, you're, no, you're proud, an audience here. You know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. But his brothers, on the other hand, didn't so much think like that. They actually envied him. And this is a problem. So they were filled with ang- ang- anger and envy, and they decided they were going to kill him. Um, if it wasn't for Judah, loving Judah, instead of killing him, he just decided to sell him. I'm like, that's much better. Do you know what I mean? When you read that, you think, oh, good old Judah, we'll only sell him. I mean, it's human trafficking is what we're dealing with here. We've gone from murder to human trafficking. Neither of them are good. You know what I mean? It's, it's sometimes we read that and think, but, I mean, uh, it baffles me that even the human mind would think like that about your own brother. But that's what envy does, if I'm going to be honest. Envy actually takes root in your heart and it can do dangerous things to even those that you love. And so we've got to be careful not to ever let envy, jealousy arouse in our heart because it can be so destructive, not only for your own life, but for those around you. We should always have a humble heart and, and be gentle towards those around us and, and everyone and never, never be allowing envy to, to take over our life. Um, it actually will rob you from, from just living your life. It will, there'll be no freedom when you're full of envy. It's a constant life of comparing, isn't it? You know, I've experienced it. Anyone else experienced that feeling when you just kind of have this, like, envious... It's horrible. So Genesis 37, 26 to 27, we read this part. It says, So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. He's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. It's like, it makes no sense, does it? It's like, no, he's your brother. Love him. Like, come on, Judah, get it right. And his brothers listened. So Joseph was sold into slavery, and he was bought by Potiphar. I mean, again, the times we're living in here are different, but this kind of stuff still does happen, and it's very sad um, in parts of the world. But what's crazy is this promise, this dream that he once had is now looking very weird because it's like, hold on a minute. I was having this dream that they were all going to bow down to me. That's not happened. So immediately, he's gone on this journey from promise to wasteland. He's now in this desolate place where he's feeling, what is this? So Genesis 39, 1-2, we read the, the journey. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was, successful. he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. I love that. The Lord was with Joseph. This is what I said, that when you wait on the Lord, it's he's with you. When he was getting sold into slavery, God was with him there, never left him nor forsaked him, because that's what he says over you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That means that in the midst of the wilderness, he's there with you in the journey. You can take courage, that even if you don't understand the journey, he's in it with you, and he knows all things. But... Joseph must have been absolutely terrified. Could you imagine at being 17 years old, being sold and being taken? That's it. Your life, you would, would have been thinking life's over in the sense of family and, and, and what you'd known. Dad wasn't there. And his brothers didn't, obviously didn't care. Um, and this wasn't going the way that he thought. Joseph probably started to feel as if there was things not aligning with the promise of God. Um, he, he was probably feeling like as he was journeying, to that journey, things were going wrong. But what actually happened, which was amazing, as, as he was in Potiphar's house, God's hand was still upon him. He was becoming 
brilliant at everything he did. Why? Because when God is with you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Everything you put your hand towards, God is with you in it and will cause blessings to come when you're faithful to follow him obediently in his will. So it may not look great, your situation, but know that God's in it with you. And whatever you put your hand to, God will bless and anoint and cause prosperity and blessings and abundance to come where you'll have, um, people will notice you. When you're faithful to follow God and you're in his will, people will say there's something different about you. There's the hand of God is upon you. You know, Potiphar noticed it with Joseph. But again, Joseph was probably starting to think at this moment, oh, this is starting to look a bit more like where I was being taken. You know, I'm being risen up in this house. I'm now my master trusts me. I'm now learning how to look after this situation. But then it kind of goes wrong again. In Genesis 39, 7 to 12, I'm going to read it all. There's quite a bit here, but I think it's important. It says this, And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know, uh, does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has in my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you were his wife. I mean, Joseph's a lovely, like his heart is so good. He's so good. And listen, this is the most beautiful bit about Joseph's story. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness? And listen, it's not even about Potiphar. How can I sin against God? His heart is so close to God that he's not even looking at the situation of Potiphar. He knows it would break God's heart if he did this. And I think Joseph's heart is so pure in the midst of having this promise to being sold into slavery on this journey. He's developed this closeness to God that only can happen on the journey. If it happened overnight, he would never become close to God like he has. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, I mean, that must have been so frustrating. You know, this constant tempting voice calling at him, calling at him, calling at him. He did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. He had an obedient heart on the journey to God. He didn't dare go off of what God had asked him to be and do. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. This, she was re- relentless. I mean, I don't know what was going on here, but she just couldn't, she wanted him. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. That's the greatest thing you can do when temptation comes knocking at your door. Run. Run with everything that's within you. Whatever you need to do, get away, call someone, tell someone, be accountable to someone. Don't lie with the temptation and play with the temptation. So, so yeah, um, his garment in her hand and fled outside. That she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, "See, he's brought us. uh, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Really sad. This woman was clearly mischievous and tempting, and Joseph's heart was so pure, but she was trying to get him in trouble." So what happened is Joseph then, his life crumbled again. Once again, he's gone from slave to then the next part we read is verse 20 to 21. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. So he's gone from promise, slavery, prison. I mean, it doesn't get much worse. I mean, it's almost like living, living 
a life is like death. You've got no life. You've gone from slavery to now prison. A place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph again. Why? Because he's faithful to his word. He will never leave nor forsake. He's not going to stop being God to you. And showed him mercy. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Isn't that amazing? No, no matter where you are in life, what situation, it's like me in the IT job. God will give you promise and favor even if it makes no sense. Why? Because he's with you. He's with you. And what you put your hand to, it doesn't have to make natural sense sometimes. God will go with you and bless you and anoint you and cause supernatural things to happen. Which is what happened to Joseph. So this, so this may have made no sense to Joseph as as it was certainly unfair, but all he had to do was keep trusting and moving on the journey. And he did. He had to keep moving on this journey with God. And then in Genesis 41, we see that Joseph was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And this changes everything for Joseph. This is that moment of the journey, of the building up to the breakthrough, of the promise fulfilled. This is this, all this rubbish that he had to go through is about to burst into flower. And he says that, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, and so Pharaoh puts him in charge over everything. So he rises to power in the land of Egypt. Understand, Egypt was not just a, it was the, a, an empire so vast and great. It was an incredible, this guy who was sold into slavery that was in prison is now second in command over the nation of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that the most, I mean, you would never have been able to work that out. If you followed the stages of his journey without knowing the end, you would never have guessed that that was what was happened. Because God, in a moment, can cause miracles. God in a moment. He doesn't need long to, a long time. Even if you can't work it out here, 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 and it looks just like a valley, God can make a miracle out of nothing. And in a moment you step into that miracle, it could flower. Everything you went through will grow you, build you, strengthen you for, for the very moment that you're in. See, Joseph at that point was 37 years old. Uh, in fact, he was 30 years old, but, but by the time the famine had come, he was 37 years old. And this was the moment that his brothers came to him. 37 years old from 17 years old. We're talking a 20-year journey. I mean, sometimes it's not Abraham, 25 years. God, God doesn't look at numbers. He looks at your heart. And he wants to know, is your character developing? Is your trust developing? Is your faith growing? Or are you getting more discouraged and turning away from the things of God? Because he wants to develop you on the journey. Because how can he give you the great promise without your character being right? Without your heart being right? Without your faithfulness being there? He can't. Imagine 17-year-old Joseph being in charge of Egypt. You can get the character he was. He would have been lording it over everyone. But what had happened, he was humbled in slavery. He was humbled in prison. And he was brought to a place of great victory where he put God place of everything and he allowed God to rule his heart and from there he was able to forgive his brothers love his brothers and bring great victory to the nation of Israel which would become and this is an incredible an incredible thing that God does there are no broken or failed dreams in God if God's given you a dream don't let go of it it doesn't matter how old you are right now don't let go of it hold on to it of everything that's within you and know that God is faithful to finish it children that don't know God. They will know God in Jesus' name. Hold on to it with everything that's within you. Maybe it's other family members that don't know God. Whatever it might be, hold on to the promise that God has given you about them. The enemy is a thief. We know that. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, rob you of your peace, rob you of any promises that God's given you. And he does that by knocking you down in the journey. 
discouraging you, making you think God has left you. But the Bible says he's never left you nor forsaken you ever. So we stand on that and we stand on the rock that's Jesus Christ and we hold tight to the promises of God and we keep pursuing, keep pursuing and watch what God does. You'll be rejoicing one day because God will be faithful to his promises, amen? Amen. We need to keep moving forward in Christ regardless of how it looks. So that's my encouragement for you. I hope it has encouraged you. Just to give you a heads up with the journey that I started with, I'm still on the journey. Yeah. I'm still on it. I'm speaking from the journey. I'm here. I'm not at the end, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, because what God's done in me is built character, resilience, and determination. That Every time I'm on that train, and oh, is it getting boring on the train? And coming back on the train, God's doing something. He's building resilience in me, endurance, ability to keep going, keep going, keep going. We have found accommodation. It's a temporary rental accommodation, and it's, we get to move into that in April. So that's a little bit of the moment of victory here but it isn't the end goal of what God said and I'm cool with that I'm absolutely cool with that because God's faithful right and so we keep pursuing God with everything with us don't let the enemy have a foothold keep praising God give no room for him no room for the enemy but my question I suppose is what has God promised you and maybe this is something that you can over this week reignite those things that maybe you forgot what God had promised you allow it to Bubble up again and remember, take hold of those things and pursue it with all your heart. But put God at the center. Amen? Come on, let's, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning, for your word that encourages our hearts, Lord, and it equips us to keep going hard after you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for your loving mercy, your goodness, and your just love that just fills our hearts, Lord. In a very unloving world, Father, I thank you that you are a loving God. And we are your hands and feet. And Father, I just thank you for every person here. And just keep your eyes closed. You may be here today and you don't actually know Jesus. And I just think it's right that we give every opportunity that um, you can come into relationship with him this morning. So I just want to pray a prayer. You can pray after me. And then we're going to give this opportunity. So the Bible says when a person believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they shall be saved. They shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from an eternal separation from God. And you are brought in a moment into an eternal union with God that lasts forever. Relationship. The Bible says that all things become new in that moment. That's what happened for me and that's what's happened for so many of people in this room. And so if you just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe in you. I turn away from my old ways and I run towards you. Fill me afresh. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. All things have become new. Amen. If you've prayed that for the first time this morning and you want to come into relationship with God, just do one thing for me. Just raise your hand so that I can see you and I can pray for you. Is there anyone here? Everyone knows God. That's, there's one hand there. There's a hand there at the back. Thank you. There's a young man there with his hand up. Father, I thank you so much for these two people. Lord, I just pray right now 
for this lady, Lord. I just pray your blessings upon her life. Father, refreshing right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. Waves of refreshing water blowing over her life, Father. Old God, new come. Father, I thank you for dreams rising up. And for this young boy, Father, I speak blessings upon his life. Father, what you're doing in his life right now, Father, let him remember it for all his days. Father, I thank you that you create new things. Father, let your word grow deep within his heart, Father. Let him speak your word at a young age. Let anoint him, Father, with power and authority to speak your word, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.